Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz is here with me, and we, we talk a lot about how it's an audio source for football, basketball, and recruiting. We'll admit it. We didn't do a lot of, a lot of the basketball and the recruiting. So we've, we've got two this week. You know, we'll do basketball later on in the week. Kind of a lull in their schedule. We can do a little bit of looking back, reassessing preseason expectations, uh, looking ahead to Big Ten play. But this one, just on the eve of signing day, which I know it's maybe it's called early signing day. It's, it's basically signing day. Uh, talking with Steve Lorenz, ace recruiting reporter. Obviously, you can read all of his stuff over at the MichiganInsider.com, Michigan.247sports.com. Lots of lots of intel on the message board. Um, you know, the crystal ball is obviously a big resource. And the class is pretty much set. So that's what that's what this is going to be. You know, we're you never know, but they've already got uh, over just about two dozen players signed. The class is ranked 11th in the country according to the 24/7 Sports Composite Team Rankings. So, Steve, let's start broad. Overall thoughts on this class. This is kind of the, you know, it's no longer the building something or the filling a bunch of holes. They kind of have their team, and they're just it's just kind of the not business as usual because every class there's there's different players they're pursuing. But it this was a very under discussed class in the sense that they they got most of their commits in May, June, July and then and then there was really no drama. Nothing, you know, certain players visited, things like that, but not a lot of drama. I guess what are your overall impressions of this class? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> the composite's kind of funky because you know, I was just reading this the other day, uh individually on the three sites that make up the composite, so Rivals, ESPN, 24/7 Michigan, by their, their individual rankings, is actually a top 10 class, according to all three, but they're 11th in the composite. So it's like this weird thing where you could argue Michigan easily has a top 10 class, but the composite, the formula of the composite actually sort of brings it down a little bit. Yeah, I mean, they are kind of in a situation now where it's sort of... It's not best player available necessarily because there was always going to be needs in certain cycles. Like linebacker, I think, was a need in this cycle. They, they, I think, did a great job there. Receiver, running back a little bit. I mean, to me, yeah, like the biggest thing too, there's no dramatics. So then people automatically, I think, get kind of like, yeah, okay, whatever. You know, like is I think people crave like winning a dramatic recruitment to build the image of us of the class or whatever because yeah this class was virtually finished in July right I mean I think I said on our board a few times that this was the most boring cycle to cover since I've been doing this as far as that gap between July <laughs> and now there was there was next to no recruiting news at all and I want to say Michigan, maybe I think offered three scholarships in within that time period, you know, so it wasn't even a situation where they weren't reeling in commitments. They weren't even really recruiting a ton of players. You know, I look at, so right now we look at, they got, I don't know, three, 
four guys left on the board. You got CJ Stroud, top 100 quarterback. I'll be posting on the board probably before this is recorded, but I'm fully expecting that to be Ohio State now. I didn't think it'd be Michigan at any point, but found out today that I think Michigan's fully expecting it to be Ohio State as well. And you got Darian Green Warren out of Cali, who Michigan leads the crystal ball for. They've kind of taken the momentum there, but USC still sneaking around as they do with any Cali kid. You're always taking somewhat of a risk. You know, we're going up to head to head against USC for a kid out of California. I don't care who the coach is or how what the program is like. And then they got James Pogorelk, who is not deciding tomorrow, will not sign until February. So we'll probably be posting about 31 James Pogorelk updates from now until February, whatever the day is for National Signing Day, is, as there's a legitimate chance that he's really the only major target left on their board. I think this is a deep class. I think they did really – like I look at the composite rankings of a lot of these guys and I see a handful that we, I believe, have it in higher, hold in higher regard than the composite does. Like Matthew Hibner is an 88 in the composite, which is lower than what their per-recruit average is, but we have him as one of the top 150 recruits in the country. It, this, this It's the second straight cycle – where they have taken a lot of guys really, really early, and have just and have basically the challenge has been to kind of hang on to them. So, I guess I'm still of the belief that if they're taking guys this early, and you're not seeing a lot of that, we say like satellite camp attrition that we used to see under Harbaugh early on in like 16 and 17, that I think fans should feel a little more comfortable with some of the guys that they're taking, even if their ranking and rating aren't as high as what you kind of think. you know. But again, uh, how do I say it without saying it? It's like, in my, this, for all intents and purposes, this class is an average, their average is above a four, is slightly above a four star, and it's very comparable to what last year's class was, which everyone loved last year's class. So I look at the two classes in a pretty similar way. I think Michigan did a really good job. I think they picked up their skill position pickups. I really like. I think Henning, Corum, uh, Wilson are all guys that could play right away. I think they solidified their safety recruiting after picking up Daxton Hill last year. You're primed to add Morant, Moten, Page to that mix. I think all three of those guys are very good prospects. I think Page is a guy who went from... Highly rated early, kind of slipped a little bit, but his senior film was really, really good. I think he's kind of one of the under-talked-about guys in this class, pretty much along with Andre Selden, uh, who there's this thing about Michigan needs a corner. I agree they should. I think they need to take a second one in this class, but I think people kind of forget that I think Selden's really, really good, and I think he fits today's college football uh, with his, his quick-twitch ability. I think he's a guy that's going to shut down some dudes that – you know, he's been doing it his entire high school career, uh, both on the field and like in the camp setting, has been shutting guys down that are highly more highly rated than him. They're bigger than him. You know, I think he's a guy that's going to have a really bright career as well. So, you know, kind of complemented their offensive line haul pretty well. I don't think offensive line was nearly the need that it was last year, and I think they got some more high ceiling. Like a Jeff Percy is a guy I think is a perfect type of fit in this class, is a guy who – really is still learning the tackle position, but has a really high ceiling, kind of like Ryan Hayes a couple cycles ago. Very similar 
in that regard. So, I mean, I, people probably expect me to say, but I am, a fa- I am a fan of this class, though. I think it's a really good class. The other thing, too, I guess I'd throw in there late. I, I was a little hesitant early on with what they did at linebacker. I thought maybe they could have waited and taken some guys and maybe waited things out a little bit longer, see where things went with some others. But Savage had really good senior film. Hill Green, I thought, had really good senior film. Mohan is the kind of versatile defender that programs are using more and more. I don't necessarily think it's just a Don Brown thing, you know, even though he's projected at that Viper spot. I think he's a guy that finds a spot. Mm-hmm. And then the same with Cornell Wheeler, another guy who's been committed forever, who's kind of more of your classic uh, thumper-type linebacker in the middle. I think he's another one. I think a lot of the in-state guys maybe I guess, a good way to put it, just haven't been talked about enough as far as being potential contributors. So, yeah, I like what they did. I mean, like, we'll still – I'm interested to see where they go at quarterback, you know, provided Stroud commits to Ohio State. If they go for the scholarship route, do they try to bring a grad transfer in to compete or, you know, what route they go there. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, so real quick, because we have I have questions about different different players or holes and superlative type things. You mentioned it's, and, and I know you, it's not actually boring, but it is, it was very quiet and maybe nondescript how this class came about. It's like they committed in May, June, July, and then, and then that was that. I mean, they could have done the signing day in July and really the class wouldn't have been that different. And it's actually it might've been almost the exact same. And I, I'm curious if, you know, how, how much in your experience, I got to think that's almost with everybody, with every school is having that, especially in the, in the Midwest. And we had a discussion on, on the radio show today about maybe social media has made it so you can, you don't need to have a big signing day ceremony. You can make it your day on August 4th, just go on Instagram live or go or tweet out your, your um, iPhone notes screenshot. And basically you're going to be, you're going to get the attention. You're going to get, you're almost going to get more attention than you want versus maybe 10 years ago when it wasn't quite this accessible to make your own announcements and decisions. You were kind of, you needed the reporters uh, to, to, to do like the little press conference thing. I, I mean, I guess what, what is making this quote unquote boring? Obviously it's not boring and, and anyone who follows our site knows that there's, there's lots of things that, that occur, but what is making this so easy or not, not easy either, but maybe so early where players are just, they're not even interested. They're, they're, they're committing in the summer before their senior year. They're focused on their senior season. The team says, okay, that works for us. You know, commitment, you know, signed, sealed, delivered, you know, see, see you signing day in December. What is, what is causing that change? I know they're moving up the official visit dates a little bit. Players are maybe arguably overwhelmed with attention again, changing technology and social media is part of that where they just they want to shut it down at least until they get to college what's what's causing this to be maybe not boring maybe just the the bonanza that used to be signing day has has really faded uh it's some it's basically a combination of the stuff you alluded to the biggest thing to me is i mean take a guy like mullings for instance i think michigan offered him like two and a half years ago right so, you know, he's been recruited by colleges. Now, granted, you know, there's the contact periods where there is a gap there where they're not going to be contacting him, but he has the, if he takes the initiative, he can contact 
them, you know, until their junior year in September. But yeah, I mean, you have kids reporting offers on Twitter. So you got fan bases breathing down their necks, like every move they make. Uh, you have multiple coaching staffs and coaches hitting them up all the time. I think the process just gets a little bit uh, tiring. I mean, it, it always eventually gets tiring for kids, but I think, yes, the combination of moving the official visit period up and the early signing day has expedited it in that kids are more comfortable in making an early decision and not, you know, dragging it out until February like they used to. But it is. It's a combination of all that stuff. A lot of these guys, yeah, Henning, Mullings, Morant, uh, Selden even, Jalen Harrell, uh, Wilson, you know, guys who have been getting attention from colleges for like multiple years. And just like anything else, yeah, I think it gets to a point, you visit some schools, you get to know some staffs, you get to learn about the pro programs, and you know what you want to do. And so there's that with the process fatigue combination of you know learning and understanding and seeing what you want with that process fatigue you know kind of I think is combined to make has really expedited the recruiting calendar for the bulk of prospects right so what happens is you get a lot of earlier commitments you're seeing like and again Michigan's class this year obviously maybe the best example where it was almost fully built in May June and July Right. Like almost literally fully built within a three month period, you know, is that what the what it becomes is the chat the challenge or the the work is to just <clears throat> continue to make that those kids and their families feel wanted and to continue to put up put out a good enough product on the field to you know, want them to still want to come play for you. And is is Michigan how unique is it that they are basically building it in May, June, July, and then that's that. I mean, I think the fear with Michigan fans would be, are they settling? Are they just taking the guys who want to commit in July? Or is this something that every school is starting to do more and more? Well, you see different circumstances. You know, you see LSU, the number one team in the country, basically, right. pushing, pushing, basically pushing guys out of their class. Which again, I'm not knocking on LSU at all because I think a lot of programs have done. You know, Michigan's over recruited some guys in the past. You talk about the satellite camp deal and stuff like that. You know, so there are circumstances where where that can happen. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's it varies by school, but by and large, I mean, you're trying to. I think Michigan they're not settling because again, they've not shown it. They've shown that they will recruit over if they have to. And and I think the one thing people need to remember are, especially with the official offers that Michigan sends out, where they basically put in a disclaimer, like this offer is contingent on your continued effort, both on the continued effort on the field and in the classroom, mm -hmm. you know? And so leave the, maybe leave the door open a little bit. I th I'm not saying they put that only on certain one. I believe every letter or uh, every official offer they send out has something along those lines on there. So they leave the door open for themselves a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, the last two cycles, well, I even go back to 18, which the cycle that everybody knocks, which is actually turning out to look like a really damn good cycle for them as far as finding guys that weren't super highly ranked that are turning into players, is that they? I feel like the last couple cycles – 
they're feeling more and more comfortable with their evaluations and are sticking with the guys that they go after early, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. and that's a best case scenario because it really allows you to focus your efforts to, to, again, like I said, you want to keep the kids and their families on board, you know, right. Obviously, but they also, it does give you, it does space up and free up more time for you to go out and, and start evaluating 2021s or even start evaluating 2022s or offering some of them, you know, or working on getting them up to campus for a visit. So there are a lot of benefits to locking things up early, but I wouldn't say to me, there's nothing in to indicate that Michigan is settling on guys or anything like that. I mean, these are, these are guys by and large that either blew up in an evaluation, which Hibner, the perfect example of a guy that Michigan evaluated. He was like, I think we had him at like an 84 when he, when they about when Michigan evaluated and offered and took a commitment from him and then nationally, you kind of start to see, oh, wait, this guy's pretty good. Like, we're going to bump him up. I mean, because he's moved up over 1,000 spots, at least in the 24-7 individual rankings, since he committed to Michigan. And it's not because he committed to Michigan. It's because he's really good and has the potential to be a really good player in their system. So, uh, you know, so I think it, it is. But other guys, like, even the guys that are a little bit lower ranked, like uh, Aaron Lewis, we have him as a four-star, but he's ranked lower than Wheeler and Mohan and Atterbury and stuff. Lewis is a guy, we had him listed as a top target throughout the entire cycle from the get-go. So, you know, these are guys that we know for a fact that Michigan was high on immediately and that they wanted. You know, and so to the extent where Lewis had committed to West Virginia and Michigan still kept up their pursuit of him because they were that high on him, right? So... I don't, yeah, I don't see it as as a comfort type deal, whatsoever. I, I think I think gotcha. they're comfortable. I think they're comfortable in their evaluations, and on the other side of the coin, yeah, I think just more and more kids want to get the process over with earlier and earlier. You know, if you come out, if they had come out and lost five games, something like that, yeah, I think you'd have seen more guys open it up. But I think the kids in this class are still satisfied with where the program seems to be heading under Harbaugh. Mm-hmm. Well, they're not. They're not message board. They're not message board people like the fan it's well it's always ironic to me is that the the people who are most optimistic about the future of the program a lot of times are the kids and families who are actually investing their entire future into it you know and if the product's not good enough or something you know uh, i don't know if it's coach leaves or anything like that you know then you might see an exodus but you know michigan had a few couple guys that were listening to other programs but it looks like as things stand whether this is published today or tomorrow, uh, that on Wednesday when they can sign, that all the guys that are expecting to sign are going to sign. So that's, again, mm-hmm. if you're Michigan, that's best-case scenario. All right, let's run through some of these. Uh, not lightning round. We can we can put a little bit of, of time into, into the why, but we got a few of them, so uh, we can work relatively quickly. First, one thing I notice when I look at the class, not no top 50 recruits, no five stars like last year's class, no, um, you know, no, no, quote unquote, what the, the blue chip was that the, the old term. But who is most likely? Is there anyone remotely likely who, who would be most likely among this class to start during next season? Oh, boy, start. Um, geez. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. I still probably have to, if it's a, if it's start, I'd say heading. Mm-hmm. Contribute. There are a few guys. Corum right there, which again is ironic because you see Hassan Haskins emerge. Right. You have, you have Zach Charbonnet. You also have Chris, Chris Evans, Evans coming back. I still think Corum, he has a completely different skill set than any of those guys. So I think he's a guy that Michigan is really going to – I mean, they have basically have told him that they plan to play him early. And, and from everything I know, that's not a pitch. Like, they really believe that he's a guy who can come in and play right away. So, But, again, but I, I would he's not going to start over a, a Haskins mm-hmm. or a Charbonnet, but – uh, and no, that's a different players start each game depending on what they well, running back. That's a good that's a good observation that they right, you know right. Haskins started five games right it wasn't uh, but so Charbonnet start, might have taken the second carry so that kind of lessens the value of what a start really might be then in the first place right so I, I guess I look at Henning and Corum the two guys that jump off the map to me as guys who could see some immediate immediate playing time and and that's the thing and that's where you get a little more comfortable about the depth that Michigan has built is you have a lot of other really quality players. Mullings and Moten are two that really stand out to me as guys who I think in some years might be seeing the field immediately, but Michigan's looking pretty good at linebacker and they're looking pretty good at safety. You know, Mm -hmm. there's no rush with some of these guys, unless again, unless they come in and, and light the world on fire, which you never really know, but I kind of look at this year, you go back to last year's class, really it was the guys that we said we thought that would play right away that did. You know, Hill, Hinton, Charbonnet. I actually think we did say Cornelius Johnson, too, if I remember right. Giles Jackson, Eric mm-hmm. Hall. Uh, you know, those were guys we had multiple. Sainer still, too. I mean, actually, actually, we hit pretty well in last class as far as guys that would play immediately. I feel like we did something on a lot of those guys before they even – Maybe like right after they sign, not during spring ball or or after, but we were, had a pretty good beat on those. I think this class, and it's not a knock on the class at all. I just think the the roster is in good enough shape to where there are only a few guys I could see making like a day one type impact right now. Okay, next on the other side, well, might be on a similar side, but but biggest sleeper of the class, I'll I'll throw in mine. I I haven't necessarily yeah. dug in on the film of everybody, but I I. Roman Wilson, man, I don't know how he's only what three hundred and what three fifty eight in the rankings. He runs a four three seven. I mean, I feel like Michigan could could you know if they can get him the ball. I granted now he's going to put on weight and he's not necessarily going to be running that with pads and everything, but that that kind of speed and I feel like I don't know. I just feel like he, he they, they got they got to be able to find a spot for him. I know they have a bunch of really fast they're getting a lot faster in the in the receiver game and a little bit faster in the running back game too but to me he's someone maybe maybe I've just watching too much NFL combine but 
a lot of times those guys who run under four four are making a lot of plays in college and in the pros. So he'd be he'd be my choice. Uh, who's your biggest sleeper or two in this class? Real quick on Wilson, it's kind of funny our national desk released an article today of the top the ten fastest players in the class, and it didn't include Wilson. So I reached out, wondered why. Uh, apparently, the opening releases an official. 40-yard dash sheet, and he wasn't on there for whatever reason. But in that same in that same inquiry, our West Coast guy, Brandon Huffman, actually dropped in and said, yeah, he definitely ran that fast. He said it was incredible because everyone else had actually was running rel- slow relative to what they normally run. And he said mm-hmm. Wilson ran a legit – that was a legit time in what he said were not optimal conditions. So – I think he's a good pick, even though he's a four-star in the composite. I agree. I think he's underrated. Uh, Hibner's the easy pick from a composite standpoint, but we have him so highly ranked, you know, from uh, on our side of the coin that it's kind of hard to pick. I'm going with with Mohan. I just he's he's fast. He's got that lightning type speed uh, defensively, and as a guy, in my opinion, will bulk up very easily. And one of the one of the kind of trends I think with the guys who have kind of turned out to be the big sleepers in these class, a lot of times they come from like areas of the country that aren't. And Erasmus Hall is I say this knowing Erasmus Hall has produced some guys. Don't get me wrong. I mean Curtis Samuel went there. Uh, I'm trying to think there was somebody else that came from Erasmus Hall. I know Ohio State's gotten a few guys from there that have turned out to be pretty good, but you know Brooklyn, New York, not a high school football hotbed necessarily as far as you know the eyes of analysts are not always over there. I think he's ascending. He's another guy who had really good senior film. I know Brian Doan, our East Coast analyst, made a point to come over to our board after watching him saying he was going to put him put in for a bump on his rating or ranking. I don't know if that ever happened or not, but um, you know, I like him as I like his versatility defensively. And again, Don Brown or not, these are the kind of guys that Don Brown's had a lot of success with. The guys who are like uber athletic you know, like a Quiddy Pay was a guy who was basically a an unpolished Uber athlete that played high school football, and they've turned him into a, a all Big Ten caliber type player. Uh, same could go with Uche, who I think is always the best best example. A guy who's now going into the NFL a year early. So I'd go with Mohan. I think another one, probably Cornell Wheeler, is another guy. Like I said, I think. I think my myself included may have slept on him a little bit too much throughout the process. Uh, I think his his senior, the little senior film that he had out there looked really good. You never know with sometimes the clips are so limited you can't tell. But heard a lot of good things about him this year too, uh, so I could see him being a guy. But again, Wheeler not a guy to expect to make an impact anytime. They're, they're so deep, you know. So mm-hmm. those are two guys right. for me. All right. I don't know anything about this one, so I won't weigh in, but best recruiting win this cycle? Mm. <laughs> so I want to publish this tomorrow. It's, it's, it's really kind of ironic. I would actually argue, well, I want to VIP this one because it was so good. So I'll, I'll just, yeah, we can go with it. It's fine. Ohio State made a really, really, really hard run at Blake Corum really late in the process and Michigan had to work relatively hard to hold them off. So if people don't realize Ohio state 
just picked up a commitment from three-star in-state guy Mayan Williams a couple weeks ago. I don't know if they kept pushing for Corum after that, but I know leading up until basically when Corum said I'm solid to Michigan and Williams committed to Ohio State, uh, they were pushing really, really, really hard for Corum. So again, one of those like things where he committed in June, but a school like Ohio State was still coming hard after him, and, and Michigan really, you know, kind of stemmed the tide and held them off, which to me is a very significant win when you consider a Ohio State needed a back in this class, and b you know Ohio State's had a lot of success at running back. I mean, there's just no other yeah, way to, there's no other way to put it, you know. So to hold them off for a guy who like I said, I picked as an instant impact kind of guy, you know, to hold them off in that race, one that we really haven't, you know, I'll, I'll talk about it on the board tomorrow, I'm sure too, after he officially signs. But uh, that was, it was never in doubt, but Ohio State came really strong after him. And, you know, I give Michigan, the staff, a, a lot of credit for basically closing it out, I guess would be the best way to put it. So that's the natural, that's the one that really stands out to me. I think, McGregor probably the other one although looking Over back yeah but looking back and seeing how into being a Michigan commit he's been it kind of feels like one of those races that maybe was built up a little bit more dramatic than it should have been and that he was probably a heavy Michigan lean the entire time but from a perception right. standpoint of anybody's announcements I guess his was probably the one that garnered the biggest reaction. I mean, by the time Henning committed, things were kind of leaning Michigan there. Uh, Wilson was quietly a nice win. I know Oregon was involved there for a little bit. But otherwise, you know, a lot of these were races that I feel like Michigan led for for a significant amount of time. Page, kind of. I mean, that was a little, maybe there was a little bit of dramatics there, but not really. So, uh, again, yeah, not a very dramatic cycle at all. But I would go with Corum with that little insider tidbit there. And then McGregor is probably the two that stand out the most. For more on Blake Corum, sign up to join the Michigan Insider. Yeah, no, I'll, have, com and I'll have more. Sports. Yeah. Um, that's interesting, though. And, and you know, you've mentioned Corum a few times. Clearly, that's that's a that's a big fish, regardless of the ranking for, for Michigan to get. All right, top recruiter. So with any coach particularly impress you with, with what they brought this cycle? That's a good one. Um, Sharon Moore continues to kind of establish himself as a guy who, like, I the biggest thing to me, the biggest sign of, like, the best recruiters are when the staff just, like, for instance, Sharon Moore was the secondary recruiter, or was he the primary? I have to look real quick. He was at least the secondary on, no, he was the primary for McGregor. So your tight ends coach is recruiting a defensive end. Uh, you know, in state, but still, and so he was in. He's the guy who's involved in a lot of like random races that they won, and so that's the, always the biggest thing that stands out to me as far as when you look at the guy who's making the biggest impact. Don Brown actually was involved, uh, directly involved in a lot more recruitments than normal this cycle, but you consider the East Coast deal with right. Mullings. Mullings, I think he was involved with Page. He was involved with Harrell, Savage, you know, uh, Hill Green. So, you know, it was a good cycle for Don Brown in the recruiting trail too. Partridge, obviously, always a guy, uh, you know, 
Gaddis too, though. So they got Henning and Wilson, who were two guys who were basically Henning was basically the top guy on their board after Gaddis was was hired on board. I mean, and and I don't think that Henning would be committed to Michigan if Gaddis hadn't gotten hired because Henning really early on was not overly interested in Michigan. It looked like it was a it looked like a Notre Dame, Ohio State, uh, maybe Georgia type recruitment there and Gaddis coming in kind of flipped the script on that recruitment. Uh, so, you know, I think Gaddis did a really good job as well. Part, like I said, Partridge though, you got, and, and part the Partridge Campanile combo, you know, with Morant, Moten, uh, Page, uh, trying to think of anybody else. Mohan. I mean, Mohan was a Campanile guy. Lewis, another New Jersey dude. So, I mean, pretty well-rounded. There wasn't like one guy, I think who was like way higher, ranked sure. way higher than everybody else. Um, so those are the guys I go with Ed Warner too. I actually like, yeah, I'm like pretty much being like Harbaugh naming everybody. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, but I'm, I mean, I'm looking the more, the more I look at the class, you know, Michigan had such a great haul on the offensive line in 2019 that I think it made it difficult to recruit up front, you know, this cycle and right, with right. Zinter, with Zinter and Percy and Atterbury, you had three guys. Mazkua, a lower-ranked guy who had, uh, you know, more regional offer sheet, but also, you know, a guy that had other options. But I look at Atterbury, Percy, and Zinter as guys who had legitimate options nationally elsewhere, you know, and could have taken advantage of those and still chose, you know, to commit to Michigan after they signed six in 2019. You know, so mm-hmm. that's a good, a lot, sometimes it's not always about getting the highest ranked guys as it is, you know, convincing kids to still come play. Cause you know, you could go to a program like they lost one recruiting race that Michigan lost out on was a kid named Noah Nelson out of Arizona offensive tackle. Basically at the end of the day told me, you know, Michigan took six last year. Oklahoma only took two. Like mm-hmm. at the, at some point the depth chart, argument you know holds a lot of weight so you know i think warner did a pretty good job there too okay okay the couple more here um position they filled the most i gotta think receiver receiver stands out to me i feel like all of their receivers are guys who um could have similar freshman years to saying we're still jackson johnson and then maybe even you know similar high ceilings with with the Gaddis system, with kind of what he's been able to do at Alabama and Penn State, I feel like that was the position they filled the most. Uh, what do you, What do you think? Uh, I look at linebacker and safety. Okay. I mean, you got what one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, five guys that are ranked four star either by the composite or by twenty four seven Sports at those two positions. So. Really, actually, the three, sorry, the three safeties they have committed are all four stars. So you talk about, you know, ironically, not ironically, but not it's not a coincidence. You know, Partridge comes in as safeties coach, and all of a sudden Michigan can recruit the safety position really well. That was kind of the one spot where, uh, with Greg Jackson, Brian Smith, where they were getting guys but not the caliber of guys that they've gotten since Partridge has taken over. Because, you know, you look at Hill, you look at Quentin Johnson last year, that's five four-star safeties in the last two cycles for them. And that's, 
we're learning the more we watch Don Brown's scheme that safety play is of utmost importance in this scheme. So now all of a sudden you have five four-star players that are in their first and second seasons. So I thought, yeah, safety and then linebacker where you just you took a lot of guys, you know, I think are, are, are spots where they really supplemented well. Okay. Any any positional concerns? I, I, I got to think defensive tackle. I, I'm a little surprised given how thin they appear to be that there weren't a couple more taken. Any Anything that they, I mean, granted, in today's climate, if you have a positional hole, you can go to the transfer portal. So maybe defensive tackle is going to be one of those spots. Any Anything stand out as, oh, you know, if they'd had this commit, they, they'd be, you know, in, in perfect shape or any any anything else that they're missing from this class? Quarterback? Uh, well, right, right. <laughs> well, yeah, and we'll see where that goes. Uh, you know, I think the other spot is not defensive tackle. It is cornerback. I do think they need to take one more guy at corner. I think defensive tackle, a big need in 2021. I think it's probably the number one need. But if Carlo Kemp gets his fifth year, you all of a sudden have a very, because I, I, you know, I think Chris Hinton was one of Michigan's better players against Ohio State up front. He had a couple rough, but a couple rough, rough patches, but made a few really big plays in that game. I think he is the easy choice for breakout player next year, especially defensively. You add a second, you add Mozzie Smith in his second year, who I think the responsibility for him is going to be way, way up. And you have a good foursome with Kemp, Dwumfor, Hinton, and Smith. You know, so in 2020, I'm not as concerned about defensive tackle as I am in. I think 2021 is where they'll need to supplement with a few bigger bodies in the middle, which they're already recruiting and, and angling towards that as we, you know, in that cycle. So I think corner, I think you just, I think it's one of those deals. You can never have enough good cornerbacks on your roster. And so if you have a couple spots, I think corner is always a spot where you might want to take a guy, but I just think even in general, which again, we know that, you know, we posted this on the board the other day have never heard Mike Zordich talk about a freshman the way he talked about DJ Turner. Right. You know, right. And and so people kind of lose sight of that. Also lose sight of, you know, I think we expect, I don't think there's any expectation Ambry Thomas would leave still, you know, and then you bring Vince Gray back who really, you look at the first cup of coffee for guys like Lewis, uh, Stribling back in the day, you know, it's, it's usually that second year of major experience that Michigan defensive backs have really, well, even Ambry this year, right? I mean, last year he got a, mm-hmm. some good looks, but not the extended looks that he got this year. And you really saw how his play took off for the most part. So I think you expect the same thing with gray next season, but still, I think it's a spot where you want to supplement your talent a little bit more, which is naturally why Michigan Darian green Warren, who in my opinion has really been the top target left for them period for the last, basically since this whole thing, since this class came to a standstill after July, you know, because I do think mm-hmm. corner was the other spot. I think Theo Johnson, amazing prospect, but they love Hibner. I don't, I don't want to say it was a luxury, but as you can see, it does not look like Michigan's in any rush to take another tight end, which to me says to them, maybe it was a little bit more of a luxury and a need because I think if they were to miss on green Warren, I think you would see them aggressively pursue other cornerbacks in the in the for the late signing period so so yeah corner be my number one and then yeah quarterback which kind of a 
unfortunate circumstance for both, obviously for J.D. Johnson, you know, a terrible situation. Right. Um, and unfortunate for Michigan, strictly from a recruiting standpoint, as far as, you know, not only having a short time to even get on a, in a race like C.J. Stroud, who, you know, I know Ohio State got in a little bit late there too, but they were there a lot earlier than Michigan still was, you know. So I think, you know, you want to take a quarterback every cycle, and we'll see where they go, provided they miss on Stroud, which I expect them to. Okay, there we go. Anything anything else to, to note about this class? No, I mean, it's... It has. It's been the same. We we could have done this. And we could have done this episode like three months ago. That's no. Yeah, it, we could it it is crazy though. I mean, that's what. I guess the one thing I'd say is early on. You know, twenty twenty one looks. It looks like it has the makings to be Harbaugh's best class at Michigan. You know, you got two top one hundreds committed. You're in the race for a ton of other guys. I think having you know, and I mean, JJ McCarthy's been committed for a while, and I know you. I think you were the one that interviewed Barton. For the article, yeah. in which in which what, he's, what can a top tier quarterback bring in a recruiting class? And that's one of those types of things that I actually be, I buy and I believe in. I think having a top tier five star quarterback committed to your class can give you some visibility in some races, you know, against some other national type programs, whether that's at receiver or back or whatever, you know. So. Guess that'd be my only thing. Looking for the future is 2021 looks pretty bright right now. I think they, again, you gotta gotta win some games, some big games to take that next step. But right now, I mean, Michigan, for the most part, I think recruiting. I said they recruiting about as well as they can given the circumstances. Be the best way to put it. Sure. Okay. Well, for Steve Lorenz, I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24/7 Podcast. Check out all of our stories. Plenty of signing day both VIP Intel and the free stuff that's, that's kind of breaking down the class similar to how we did today over at the themichiganinsider.com and michigan.247sports.com. It's been the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something. And look out in the next couple days. We'll have a basketball podcast for you.